Welcome in listeners to our Whisper in the Wings. We have a fabulous, fabulous episode for you today. We have another playwright uh, with us today, the incredible Giovanni Diaz, uh, whose new work, What the Rain Forgives, opens this week. Giovanni, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Andrew. Oh, this is incredible. Now, you reached out to us uh, on Instagram, <clears throat> excuse me, last week, uh, and just looking into your work, uh, What the Rain Forgives, I, there's not a whole lot to, to describe it, um, but it sounds like, I will say, the little like taglines that it leaves, it's smart because it makes me want to know more. Um, all I've gathered so far is two, two people arrive at a church, to escape the rain and then kind of like fate takes over. Um, I, I'm probably describing it very poorly, but why don't you tell us a bit about your show? Uh, yeah, gladly. Um, so yeah, two people meet inside of a church on a rainy night and what goes from an awkward kind of getting to know you interaction explodes into a meditation on vengeance, uh, forgiveness and what may be the true nature of love. And in between that, you have these two people who have both dealt with and seen a lot of things in their lives from different perspectives, different perspectives. One's a, uh, a young woman from out West, one's uh, an inner city guy uh, within it who uh, was an immigrant son. And they're tied together by something that, you know, anybody, you can really argue is either a hell of a stroke of coincidence, uh, a terrible stroke of coincidence or fate or something orchestrated. And it deals with spirituality. It um, deals with violence. It deals with, you know, are things just random or is there something behind the scenes orchestrating things? And if that's the case, how much of it, how much of a say do we have? How much of a say how many things are determined. And then after that, um, what does it mean for, for what is, what does forgiveness mean? What does it mean to finally move on from something despite it being so terrible that hmm. can you, can, can we all be saved essentially, whatever that means to you. And that's a, that's a, that's a scary and dangerous question to ask because all you have to do is, is pop on the news to see horrible people. Yeah. Doing horrible things. And this play kind of, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily take a stance. It, it may seem like that. It doesn't necessarily say like, no, this is the way it should be, but it does kind of offer a different perspective that rebels in the face of traditional established norms of what it means to what it means for someone to pay for what they've done. Huh. And at what point is, at what point it ultimately asks the question, this is a long winded way of just basically saying it ultimately asks the questions of at what point is, is someone allowed to go, okay, I, I'm, I'm sorry I did that. I've learned from that. I'm not going to ever do that again. I'm moving on now. You know, at, at what point we, we've all, we've all have that thing we regret. We all have those or those things that we regret. And at what point are you allowed to move on from that? You know, do you constantly have to pay for your sins? Or are you allowed to just go, all right, I'm done? Wow, that... 
That that is deep. But that yeah. that is I I mean I think that's a really important question to ask, and I think that's one that everyone, like you said, everyone's got regrets. Everyone has that. These are the kind of things that keep us up in the middle of the night. You know, you randomly think about something years ago and why does it still pester you and so right. that's an interesting question to be asking right. especially in our age of, of canceling and shaming you know I, I think there is a certain um there is a certain if not strength then positive outcomes to, to calling out especially like the harvey weinsteins of the world right like there, there's no doubt they need to be they need to be shown for who they are but then at a certain point, it, it almost seems to verge on mob mentality and yeah. people kind of like, let's be real, people, and we're all guilty of it, can vicariously get a thrill from going, yeah, that, that there, look over there because then you're not looking at me. Mm-hmm. So prevalent now on Twitter, that's so prevalent now on, on all forms of social media. And I, I guess, you know, Part of the, the part of in reality, the true impetus for this play was I just saw these these two characters meeting in a church on a rainy night, and I was just like, "Oh, that's an interesting setting." And I literally just started writing it down, and what happened happened. But um, in the back of my mind was that was that question of just yeah, I mean, aren't we all guilty of something? Isn't that something that's supposed to be, regardless of your belief system, regardless of your non-belief, whatever is there? Isn't isn't it important to remember like? Yeah, the, the person standing in front of you, they messed up. They did something bad. And you still love them. Yeah. You know? So so it, it almost poses the the it's it's almost challenging challenging us with the notion with either it's perhaps it's it's all okay or none of it's okay. And that's 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 a scary thing to present because some people a lot of people, I think, get viscerally pissed off at that because you want that sense of, no, that person messed up and we're going to make them pay for it. And that's that. I would never do something like that. But given the wrong circumstances, you don't, you don't know what you're capable of, right? You know? Right. Yeah. So how did you come up with the idea for the show? Or, how, or, or come up with the show, I guess, is the better question. A few years ago, uh, about, about a year or two before the pandemic, um, I, uh, I just finished my first novel and uh, I put it out and I was already planning on diving into the second one. And it took me a moment to realize that, oh, wow, this is a, uh, that took a lot out of me. <laughs> it, it took me six years to write the thing. Wow. And yeah, so I just, I, I kind of wanted, I, I wanted to, to try something else. I hadn't written a play since, for, since I was a kid. And I uh, I had this I had these two ideas in the forefront of my mind. I wrote, I wrote this other play that we're going to start, and we'll talk about that later. We're going to uh, as soon as this is done, we're going to start trying to get that made. But um, so I finished that, and then I had this idea for these um, these two people who meet, and and, and I knew I kind of knew how it ended right off the bat, and I kind of knew. Um, that I wanted it to be somewhat romantic, but at the same time deal with a very heavy, with this heavy, very heavy theme of, of vengeance and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I literally just started writing it in a coffee shop. And about a couple of months later, I had the rough draft. And um, I'm very much, uh, music plays a big part of how I write. So I'll take a song and I'll associate it with something. So um, 
you know, uh, this great song from Mazzy Star called Into Dust. And I was playing that over and over and over again. And it seemed to be thematically on point with it. And um, so then I let it sit for a little while. I let it sit and I would come back to it from time to time, you know, retouch it, retouch it, share it with some, with a couple of trusted friends, including uh, my director, Anna Remus, who is wonderful and who uh, has been uh, such a trooper throughout this entire thing. And I couldn't have done this without her. Um, and, uh, you know, getting some notes here and there, but, you know, reworking or reworking. And then I sent it to the player's theater. Um, and then the pandemic happened. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, things, uh, um, I moved, I, uh, you know, we found out we were going to have a baby, uh, you know, all, everything just boom, changed. And I completely, I completely forgot. And then one summer, I think it was sometime last July or August, I, I saw the email and they said they, you know, I was accepted for the, for the residency. Uh, if, I, if I want, if I wanted it, come in for a meeting and, and uh, here we are. So then, and even while we were, even while we've been rehearsing and even then it's, it's there's been a, a lot of editing, <laughs> it's been a lot of trial and error. There's been a lot of, you know, um, like, oh, that actually doesn't work. Okay, let's, no, we're not doing that <laughs> anymore. Let's, and um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's been amazing to, to watch the process of watching how um, something I just came up with on this little keyboard of mine that was just black and white on the page um watching other people then take it and then add their ideas to it and, and it makes it so much richer and it gives it so much more depth oh see theater's back i love hearing that <laughs> <laughs> um so i mean you've you've delved into this a little bit but it, as i've mentioned you know coming out of the pandemic what was it like developing the show yeah um uh puzzling <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, a, it was a lot of like, oh, yeah, we got to get together for rehearsals for this. We got to like, okay, so checking the news every other day and going like, where are we? Are we still, oh, okay, we're still, where people are still um, coughing, using quotation marks. People are still coughing severely, right, to put a uh, a lightness on a terrible thing. Um, yeah. Um, Did you guys ever do like Zoom rehearsals? I know a lot of people we've talked to. Yeah, in the beginning, all, all of the, the auditions were all Zoom. Uh, Anna and I, you know, met, talked on the phone, uh, met via Zoom repeatedly. Um, you know, then um, she she has she's a filmmaker, so she she has made a she's made a couple of short films, Wise Gals and Keeper, and she worked one of the lead actresses on Keeper, Juliet Blackman, who's done a lot of different films. She they had a great time working together, and Juliet is extremely talented. So uh, while we started the audition process all via Zoom. She, uh, we reached out and, and we did that and she knocked it out of the park because she's so damn talented. Um, and then we met Greg Warren through backstage and it was the same thing. It was, it was, I, <laughs> I felt, I, you know, he's a veteran of the theater, uh, an incredible presence on stage. And he, uh, I felt bad because they had to do these, these sides for this very intense scene with this very intense reading so and it's just you know it's always awkward for actors god bless them they they have to you know they could just meet that day and then all of a sudden they're doing you know they're pretending to kill each other they're pretending to fall in love they do right it's crazy and i don't know how they do it but i'm glad they do um so add in the the zoom add in the digital virtual component of it right and it's just like oh hi i'm great hi i'm juliet okay and go <laughs> <laughs> 
but they immediately had this natural rapport and they were, um, you know, they were you know, laughing together and, and, and very comfortable. So, so yeah, so it was all then. And then once spring hit, we were able to, to start meeting outside and going over things and going over like, you know, Anna and I spent an entire, I mean, I'm talking like a 12 hour day, just going over the script and um, how about removing this? Maybe this doesn't work. And, you know, arguing back and forth in a good way, but arguing back and forth <laughs> and, and getting it down to where it is now. And then the rehearsal started and, you know, just mask on and, and taking every precaution we can, but, you know, knock on wood, we've been, we've been okay. Um, and yeah, it's been a lot of like bouncing around from at the player theater to, you know, finding room at, at the art space in South Oxford or on 528th Avenue. And, um, you know, even meeting outside for drinks sometimes and just going over, just going over, going over it. Sometimes we have a group text and it's like, hey, I think this song actually fits with this character. Oh, yeah, I agree. Um, you know, so it's, it's been it's been tricky. It's been very, very tricky um, because of the pandemic. But it's also been a joyful experience to just collaborate with such talented people. I love that. Love that. Um, what is the message or thought that you're hoping audiences will take away from this? Like I said before, I, I, I want them to reconsider notions of reconsider notions of, of what it means to accept someone. And that doesn't mean that, and this play goes into this, that doesn't mean that you should just be a doormat or should just stand idly by, you know, the human experience is one where, you have to stand up for yourself. You know what I mean? Even, even with innocuous things, even, even if it's not life or death, it's still something where you have to, even among those you love and, and respect, you have to let them know, like, look, I have, I have a line and this is what you shouldn't cross. And if you do, I'm going to be, I'm going to be pissed off. But at the same time, um, especially in this day and age of just constantly hunting, actively hunting for things to be upset, to be upset about. Yes. Do I mean, let's, let's, let's be real. That that's what's happening. Yeah. And it's understandable. It's understandable, right? It's understandable because it's just we're having so much information thrown at us, and you can't you can't wake up and not, not look at your phone and then see like a million and one things. Um, <laughs> you know the terribleness of last week, notwithstanding, right? Um, regarding Roe v. Wade, and all these things are happening, and it's just it's enough to make you crazy. Yeah. So you try to lash out as much as you can, but. At the end of the day, it's it's a human being on the other end, end of that, and there's so many. You know, I I, I you had mentioned. You know, we were talking about uh, before the show. We were talking about like um, people like pretending to be from rougher circumstances than they actually are, right? Um, and I I come from like you know I'm I'm an immigrant son. Um, my folks came here from Honduras in the '70s, and I grew up in a neighborhood that was not always great. Not terrible, but not always great in New York City, uh, in Queens. And it, it showed me that people, you know, they can sometimes, they, they, they can sometimes do terrible things, but at the same time, 
there's almost always a reason behind it. There's almost always uh, it doesn't it doesn't make it right and it doesn't make it okay. But there's almost always some impetus, something that we're not seeing. Yes. That was like, oh yeah, of course they did that thing. And if you were, you know, it's easy for you to stand stand there and judge. But if you were in that position, I don't know how you would have done. Right. So I want people to walk away from this play at the very least, you know, not changing their worldview, not, no, I mean, that's, that's not the way it works, but at the very least walking away going, okay, maybe the next time I get pissed off at somebody, I can reconsider them, some things. Maybe I can try to hear their point of view. Maybe, um, you know, maybe things are much more complex than I realized. What? Listening to the other person and what they thought? <laughs> oh my gosh, you're really putting a new idea out there for 20 that. <clears throat> oh my God. Yeah, I mean, that. I think that would be the root. That would just eliminate more than half of conflict that exists out there. I mean, that's why I can't... I, I, I personally don't engage in a lot of social media except for the show because of that. Like, I feel like it's screaming into the void because half the time it's like, well, let me share my experience and I immediately get shot down. And I'm like, but wait, right. that was my experience. Right. I'm not going to change. You, it's going to be very hard to change someone's mind. In, in my opinion, unless you have that face to face connection, but also I, I think you're nailing it on the head with things that shock us or catch us off guard, catch us off guard for a reason, because it doesn't seem to fit in the norm. Yeah. You know, it's one of those like that's, you know, when something happens, a, a crime or violence or something, one of the things you usually hear is, oh, my gosh, that's so crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. So if that's not what a normal person would do, think about why someone did it. Right. You know, there's got to be some crazy circumstance that forced them to do what they did. Nobody wakes up in the morning and does these crazy things. And I guarantee you now. There's going to be some people listening who are getting pissed off at, you, at at both of us saying that because, you know, it's it it's a lot. It, it's it's scary to think that that's the reality because then you could do that, right? And, and that might be you. You know, if you, if you if you walk by um, some poor homeless person on the street and they're babbling to themselves and that you know there's 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 been a lot of news lately, especially in New York about um you know like you know random stabbings and people pushing and, and all this stuff I, as a local i can tell you this has always been the case but it's just yeah. it seems to come in cycles it seems to it seems to be like oh no they're just highlighting it now no this is always this has always been the thing but anyway doesn't make it doesn't make it doesn't mean it's not tragic it's always tragic doesn't mean that we shouldn't do something about it but yeah i'm very much team do something about it but it has to be something that's effective and the and the current strictly punitive measures aren't working no and, and I 100% guarantee you, I've just made a bunch of enemies by saying that <laughs> because it's, it's much, it's so much more understandable to go, no, those people are just bad and, 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 you know, they can't function in civilized society, but we don't, again, we don't, you, you, you look into almost every, of course there's exceptions, but, but the vast majority of people who are in those situations come from abuse, come from this, come from that. And I'm not saying that excuses it. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't be dealt with. I'm saying that that's something that needs to be considered. And that has to be considered in how we deal with crime and punishment. It has to be, it, it, if, if it's just about locking people away and saying you're getting what you deserved, that's a good recipe for making criminals. Yeah. If it's about trying to rehabilitate them, then we have to understand what the hell's going on. And we actually have to do rehabilitation. Right. 
fix the problem, not right. just make us feel like we fixed the problem. Right. And, and it's difficult. And I think we're, I think we're both continuing to say the same thing, which is we're not justifying the action. If you right. do something, whatever consequence, good or bad, you've earned, you've earned uh, yeah. understanding why you did that is still important. Yes. You can't correct something or encourage something without understanding why something happened. That's, right. just, that's behavior. So yeah. I, I'm fascinated that, that you, you brought that idea, that mentality, not only in the action of your play, but that's the message you kind of want people to take away as well. That, that's well, well, I hope so. I'm a big believer at the end of the day, every work should be entertaining. Every, every work should be entertaining. <laughs> like if, if you have to, I'm, I'm not a big fan of putting something into a genre because I think a lot of the best stories, even, you know, something can have a werewolf in it, but it can also deal with all sorts of other, you know, issues. And it's like, okay, it's horror, but you know what I mean? Um, you know, but if you had to put a gun to my head and say, what genre is this? Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a love story. It's a romance story. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's, a, it's about two people who like each other and you know, who, who meet and they grow to like each other, right? But, so, so that's, that's the heart of it. But, but, that does, but you can still use that as an avenue to, to explore these things. And in no way, shape or form am I, am I claiming that I'm answering it. That's ridiculous. <laughs> um, but it's, it's incumbent upon artists to um, first make people feel something. And then after that, we have to present ideas present ideas and go, Hey, 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 maybe, you know what, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. And, and that's okay. That's okay. Is this is, it's, you know, that's another thing that, I, that that's disconcerting that we're not seeing a lot of, and it's, it's okay to, to separate yourself. Like if you don't like someone's work, that doesn't mean you don't have to, you have to have an issue with them. Right. We see that so many times now, Oh, they made this thing that I don't like. So they're immediately so-and-so. And yeah, it's, you can tackle these things and, ruffle some feathers but it doesn't mean that you have to it, it doesn't mean that you have you have to sit there and claim that you're that you're trying to solve a major problem I'm not i'm trying to tell a story and i want people to like it which is i mean no shame that's yeah i think that's fair <laughs> i think that's also important to be that's fair. Right yeah yeah so you mentioned that you started this um after your second novel or excuse me your first novel a couple of years before the pandemic. So you've been working on, how long have you been working on this project? The three years? Um, off and on for about, yeah, I'd say off and on for about three years. Yeah. Wow. That is first novel took six years. This took three yeah. years. Yeah. Oh, if you're a kid, if you're catching on to a theme here, theater takes time. Uh, <laughs> it does. It 100%. What, what I'll add to that, the caveat that I'll add to that is finishing something, you know, finishing your rough draft, that can go as fast as you like it. That, that, can, that can go, you know, again, I finished a rough draft in about two months, a month and a half, mm -hmm. right? And then well, everything that's followed is reworking it, reworking it, doing, you know, not obsessively, but like, okay, let me go back to it again. Uh, uh, you know, this line could be better or this can be better. And then getting to the point now, this year, this wonderful, uh, you know, full of ups and downs, but this wonderful year with my cast and, and with my director, um, that has been a hell of a process, right? And yeah, you're right. It does take time. But if there's anybody out there who's, who's writing or who's thinking about writing or who really wants to do a project, the thing I would tell them is, for the love of God, write it, finish it, finish it, finish it, finish it. I don't care, I don't care how bad you think it is. You, it might be, it might be. 
But the point is, is when you have something that's finished, you have something to rework. You have something, you have something to do again. And if, if, it, if it never gets done, then, you know, and, and when people who tell you like, oh, yeah, you really should take your time, right? Eventually, <laughs> eventually, eventually you should take your time and, and making it as, as good as you can. But then at the end of the day, you can do all that and someone's still going to hate it. <laughs> so, so it really, it really finishing your work is, is really the most important thing. What is that popular like meme thing going around? You can't make everyone happy. You're not a taco. <laughs> i haven't seen that yet that's pretty good oh my god yeah that came across one time and i was just really stressed out and trying to get a million things done and i, I saw that and i laughed and i went you know what that's fortune cookie wisdom right there like that's right. yeah that's I, 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 i'm gonna repeat that one to myself that's pretty good yeah you'll never make everyone happy sure. so has that your your show is playing soon it's opening this week at the players theater um has it played anywhere else has it been performed oh. anywhere else so this oh. is a world premiere this is exciting yeah, yeah first time first time we're we're very excited we're all legit we're uh, we had our first tech rehearsal we had a tech rehearsal yesterday we're having another another big one tomorrow where um it, it's it's surreal in the best possible sense now who do you hope have access to the show uh, everyone 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 you know i like we were like I think we were talking about before about how um you know there can be a stigma to theater being only for a select group of people mm -hmm. and you know you said very intelligently i thought that you know having this opportunity to reset having this opportunity to get people in front of the stage and wreck and, and experiencing that you know even if it's just the once is so important and like, i'm a working class kid I, I didn't i grew up in a in a in a neighborhood that had its issues and a big part of why i'm, I'm doing this now is because because i read because i read because i saw films that challenged me because because of music because of, because of and, then, and because of theater and and art as a whole you know what i mean and Art has the power to, to change your perspective. And what you do with that, that's on you, right? Yeah. But, so I want, you know, everyone, pe people who love theater, people who love the stage, of course. And, but also those people who, who, who want to give it a shot, who, you know, this is, a, this is an opportunity for them to, to see something that's very, it's two people talking in a room. That's what it boils down to. But to see how that can, can be elevated into something more, to see how that can be elevated into uh, a thematic experience that, that changes your life. So yeah, everyone, <laughs> anyone, who, anyone who can get in the seats. Absolutely. show stage whisper we not only talk about um um uh, the shows themselves and break them down but we also talk about our personal experiences uh in the theater so i kind of want to shift gears a little and talk to you now a little bit about your personal experience uh in the theater and i want to start things off by asking 
what shows in the past have inspired you um, or, uh, or maybe you love? Um, and I'll group writers and composers in that question as well. Sure. Um, so recently, well, relatively recently, this is God, pandemic time is weird. Um, <laughs> a few years back, I was fortunate enough to see Alan Cumming pretty much play every role in Macbeth. That was such an incredible production. Holy crap. Holy crap. Like that, um, that was, I think I had just, I think I had just started writing prose seriously at that point. You know, I was, I was working on the, on, the, on the bones of my first novel and stuff. But when you, when you start out, there's very much this sense of like, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. There was something about that performance. There was something about that. that I mean, Omar, he's a master. And, and everybody behind that, everybody behind that it did, holy crap, was, were, were just incredible. But there was something about watching this guy by himself do one of the great works of all time that made me go, huh, like, oh, you, you can do that. You don't need a lot. You don't need an Omiron. The set was beautiful and all that stuff, but it was still just him on his own, right? In a, in a, in a, in a, in a faux insane asylum, but still, it, it just... And he, I mean, he, he just killed it. He just, he, he just, he, he showed that, you know, special effects are great. Set design's great. All that's great. But at the end of the day, when you have the material and you have the, the passion and the creativity, you can elevate, you can elevate a phone booth into, into, Mm-hmm. It's a high drama. It's a high, just incredible drama. So that that's the one that that immediately um, pops up. Something something else that I saw recently. I think it blends into to like what what I've seen more recently. If that's okay to like, yeah, yeah. Look forward to that. Uh, Wendell Pierce in Death of a Salesman. I was fortunate enough to see that in London right before the pandemic. Oh, amazing! And of course, that's coming to Broadway. Oh my God, go see it! Yeah. He, he is, you know, uh, The Wire is probably my favorite TV show of all time. So I, uh, I was uh, thrilled when I got that chance to go see it. And what, like, what they did with that production, the way they tackled um, his, his jumps in time and, and him losing his mind and, and his performance was just so astounding. So, so absolutely so incredible. So, yeah, those are, those are the, the big two that that real that I always kind of stand out that always kind of stand out in my mind. Was Sharon D. Clark in that production pre-pandemic? I don't think she was. I think she was doing Carolina Change. Honest to God, I don't think so. I don't, honest to God, I don't remember. So that makes me more excited for what's coming to Broadway because you've got him and then you've got Sharon D. Clark playing his wife and then Andre DeShields playing his brother. Yeah. So that right there, that those three, oh, that's. Yeah, I, 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 Highly recommend. I think you're gonna have a great time. Oh, that's oh, that story. Everybody, everybody was weeping at the end. I mean, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. It's a, it's a cliche, but it's just. I true. believe it. It was fantastic. So, I mean, we we've kind of touched on my next question, which is: Have you seen any great theater lately that you'd recommend? Um, yeah. <laughs> outside yeah, of that, yeah, I fast forward a little bit. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's just uh, I just, I just wanted to talk about it so much. Um, yeah, and then of, of course because of the pandemic, things have been difficult, and I, I had a baby recently, so it's. Uh, that may have been the last time I've been fortunate enough to actually be an audience member. I'm looking forward to rectifying that very, very soon. So, oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah. So for sure, Death of a Salesman then. Yeah, Fabulous. Sure. Sure. Um, let me ask an easier question as opposed to these two, which is um, 
What's your favorite part about working in the theater? <laughs> Man. Um, well, clearly the perks. Um, <laughs> yes, all the health care and everything. All that health care is fantastic. Yeah, I don't I never have to worry. Um, getting to work with people who are just as passionate about storytelling and who watching them take, you know, a, a stage is, 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 a, is like a blank sheet of paper. It's, it's like this physical medium, but it's like a 3D blank, blank sheet of paper. And getting to collaborate with all these people and watching them, you know, it, it, even, even moments when it's frustrating, even moments when it's like, no, I think it should be this. But, but, but how about this? It's, it's such a wonderful thing to see talented people come together and, and bring out something from words on a page. Yes. Make it make it this this live visceral thing um yeah I mean, forgive me if that's cliche but it's just it's it's just incredible to it's just incredible to see and it's just it's, it's to be part of it is so at any level is is something that i'm truly honored by no i i think i i don't think it's a cliche at all in fact um when i i i think i've mentioned this before a thousand times so listeners forgive but when i was an uber driver back in the day I remember telling people what I did, you know, I, I work, I studied the theater and I worked in the theater and I mentioned that my wife and I were going to move to New York and the, you know, being in Salt Lake, they were like, why don't you just move to LA? Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, first of all, I've been told I'm too big for, for moving. <laughs> and they were like, you're not that big. And I'm like, no, not weight wise. I'm just too expressive. Like I have mad respect for people who do film acting because it's a lot more controlled, a lot smaller, and I'm Mr. Hammond up played at the back row, balcony. Sure, sure. Um, and I was like, and the other thing is, is there something so amazing about, you know, 150 people in this beautiful ballet, and we all have one shot to get it right, you know, every performance. Mm. And, we, and, and, and we all work independently, but also all together to create this magical experience. Film and TV are great, no disrespect it's a whole nother art form but there's always room to correct an error unless it's live theater's yeah. always live and if yeah. you mess up you got to keep going yeah it is yeah. what it is yeah. and so you know i i think you're absolutely right with the the connections form and watching things take shape it's it's, magic. it's live yeah, it's all it's not only live it is alive mm -hmm. and it's living and it's breathing so i uh, know you're no cliche Beautiful answer. Oh, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So what is your favorite theater memory? Uh, oh, well, either being in it or watching it. Um, either or, I mean, or both. Honest, honestly, now. Honestly, right now. Honestly, um, yeah, as, as utterly terrified as I am. <laughs> I, I completely am. Um, and stressed and all of it. Uh, you know, my... my Anna and I, my, Anna Remus, my director, we, we were talking the other day and we both kind of agreed that, you know, like we have to be here now for this. Like this is, this is the thing that we're going to look back on and go, oh my God, remember? <laughs> and I think, I think every production moving forward will feel like that. And, and I think it's really important to, to say to, to go, yeah, it's it's right now. It's 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 making this. It's making stuff. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a, I'm a big believer that creative people are 
work-wise happiest when they're when they're making and you know being in the throes of this knowing that on thursday we're going to be in front of a live audience knowing that i have a rehearsal tomorrow knowing that this is this is happening and and just you know i i guess i guess to really like narrow it down and to be super specific you know the rehearsal process is, is great it can be a lot of things, but it's it's almost always great, you know. And I always feel good after walking out of that. Um, so that's that's pro- that's that's probably my favorite. But yeah, just just making a show is my favorite. <laughs> Make, making something making something alive is my favorite for sure. I think this is the first time we've ever had like a live active memory, not just like a when I was six, but like a <laughs> in the now is my favorite memory. It's oh, okay, the- I can I can do one of those too. I can do one of those too. When I was. Uh, I mean, if you want, yeah. <laughs> when I was in uh, in fourth grade, I was I'm terrible at math. Always have been. So <laughs> they pulled me out of this like advanced math thing and put me in a, in this art class. This little it was four of us. They put us in this little art group. It was I guess it was an experimental thing. I never got the story about why that happened in a public school in Queens, but it was it was great. And we did all sorts of stuff. And I remember like really waiting to make something. I took to write make something on my own. I wanted to write. That's how, that's when I began to knew that I wanted to be a writer. And so uh, finally it came like, okay, guys, you're going to, you're going to make something on your own. I'll do whatever you want. And I wrote this short story uh, called uh, Terror at Loch Ness. And it was about uh, four um, high school graduates who go to Loch Ness Lake and have to fight monsters, you know, cause that's, that's what you do. You go after you graduate high school, you, you go to Scotland and you, and you, and you party there. Right. Exactly. Uh, right. And, uh, I'll never forget my teacher, Mrs. Putterman. She, she, uh, I read it out loud and she goes, okay, guys, you know what Giovanni did? Giovanni has written a play. And I remember looking at her going, I did? <laughs> you know, like, oh, okay. And she pulled me aside. She was like, write this in a play and we're going to perform it. So I wrote it and we ended up performing it for two second grade classes. And I remember even watching the teachers like laughing the entire time. Like they were legit paying attention and, and laughing and the kids loved it. We got, we got a big applause. And no matter what else happens, I, I don't think I'm ever, it's ever going to get better than that. I don't, I don't think I'll ever be prouder than the moment that uh, that little fourth grade me performed this uh, silly little monster play in front of all these kids at school. It was great. So there, I got that one too. Cool. <laughs> that is so cool. Yeah. So the next work you're doing is um, Terror in the Loch Ness Monsters? Terror at Loch Ness. Yeah, that's my next play for Terror sure. Terror at Loch Ness. Yeah, yeah, so Terror, yeah, wait yeah for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, but leading into that, though, are there any productions that you have coming down the pipeline? Yes. Um, right now, so my first play is uh, before before What the Rain Forgives, I wrote a play called The Nameless Thing Between Us. And it's a horror story. And, and what was it called again? I'm sorry. The Nameless Thing Between Us. Oh, okay. And it follows two men who met at a uh, grief support group they find uh, an actual way to raise the dead. Oh. They go through the process of trying to raise their lost wife and their lost son, respectively, and raise something else instead. So the play is a psychological back and forth between them and this entity, this thing. And it's a, it's a metaphor for grief. It's a metaphor, it, it deals primarily with grief and the, and the lengths people will go to to blot that grief out to hide from that pain of of losing someone and um 
it's something that I'm very excited about. It's it's uh, we had a we had a virtual reading um, a few weeks back that went very well. That gave me uh, a lot of insight into how prepared it is, and, and I'm feeling very confident in where it's at now. So once once the rain forgives is, is uh, wraps up production, we are uh, uh, Anna Remus and I are going to go very hard into getting this uh, on the stage. So. Uh, yeah, it's not, it's not, um, it's not, we're not working with any specific theater yet, but it's something that we, we believe, uh, we will be soon. Oh, great. And you got to keep us posted about that. I will be happy that to do that. Amazing. It's, it's something I'm very excited about. Amazing. So the nameless thing between us and uh, any other shows coming or just, just these two right now? Just these two right now. I'm currently writing, um, I'm currently writing a, another play that I'm kind of keeping, uh, I've written uh finished another play called print um that's kind of a, a dramedy so um keeping uh, and i'm working and i'm working on something else uh that i'm just kind of keeping quiet and uh and also I'm, I'm working on my third novel as well so you know trying to juggle all that while cleaning poopy diapers you know just a little bit busy you know yeah, a little bit yeah well that's amazing so if our listeners want to get more information about your, your current show, um, What the Rain Forgives, where can they, where can they find it? Where can they reach out to you? Sure. Um, they can uh, either go to rainforgives.com. That, is, uh, that has the link to the, uh, to the ticket window and all that stuff. Or they can go straight to the Players Theater. Uh, the, you know, Michael Skorus and Brendan Bell, the great people at the Players Theater who have been nothing but supportive throughout all of this. Um, and, uh, happy to be the, the, the first, yeah, I'm happy to, to do this here first. Um, if at checkout, if they hit, if they enter rush 25, uh, they'll, uh, they'll, uh, I believe they'll be paying, uh, only $25 for general admission tickets. Um, so yeah, so go to the player theater or go to rainforgives.com and, um, yeah, we, we really want to see you guys there. Amazing. And now the show opens on July 6th? 7th. 7th. Thursday, yeah. Um, and when does it run till? Uh, the 24th. So it'll be um, every Thursday through Sunday uh, for the next three weeks. Thursdays, uh, uh, Thursday, Saturdays are 7 to 9, and uh, Sundays are matinee uh, 3 to 5. Amazing. Amazing. Well, Giovanni, it has been incredible to talk to you today. And just seriously, this has been amazing. I have so many more questions for you, but I think I'm going to have to save it for another interview. Because, <laughs> and uh, but we've it looks like we have another show to interview about, uh, which I'm looking forward to very soon. As so thank I, you so much I, for joining us today. My pleasure, Andrew. Thank you so much for having us. My guest today has been Giovanni Diaz. He wrote the brand new premiere, What the Rain Forgives, which is making its world premiere at the Players Theater. You can get tickets for this incredible show at rainforgives.com or visit the Players Theater website, which we'll be sharing on the information with this podcast as well as on our social media. And Stage Whisper listeners, we've just found out that you can use the code RUSH25 at these uh, when you buy your tickets and pay only $25 for tickets. So that's exciting. The show opens on July 7th and runs to the 24th every Thursday through Sunday. We are looking forward to going to see the show ourselves, so hopefully you'll be able to join us. So until next time, 
I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep your masks on, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar, BJ Block featuring Don Pemberton, and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you'll find all the information about our backstage pass. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you. <laughs>